Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of the, Le- the Neoliberal Round podcast. I am Ronaldo McKenzie and my co-host is Dante Nelson. And actually, we have a question for you that we're going to break the ice with. You throw an egg against a wall. It doesn't break, it doesn't fall. How come? Well, listen, listen to my co-host try to break the ice, try to answer this question. It's very amusing. And we have lots in store for you today. We are going to, this is the final, the final in the four-part series looking at Carib, towards developing a Caribbean diaspora and Pan-Africa perspective where I share with you the final thoughts from a presentation I had at, from a lecture on a lecture looking at um, several different issues. So, but before we get into that, listen to how my co-host um, answered this question. And if you know the answer, let me know what you came up with. You throw an egg against a wall. It doesn't break, it doesn't fall. How comes? Right, the- yes, I think that you should post it on social media as well. I w- you know see what the answer, what's the answer is. is okay yes. we will do that but when we post this um the, the podcast we will also ask that question but um if you know the answer let me hear what you have before you listen to the the, the segment that's coming up called breaking the ice where my co-host Dante tries to figure out this statement we'll be right um, the, um uh, we we will we will get into this right now here is here is Dante trying to break the ice Trying to trying to answer this question. It's it was very amazing. Very hurt, guys. Very hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, 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 is there more? Is there more to the story? Like, is there more? To I the- you throw an egg against a wall. It doesn't break. It doesn't fall. How comes? Oh, uh, you're trying to figure because it out. Because an egg. <laughs> Uh, it cracks. It doesn't break. Um, but you throw an egg at the wall. It doesn't break. It doesn't fall. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because when you crack the egg, you're throwing it down. Are are we cooking the egg? Or, or, or <laughs> me, are we I, just throwing the egg? Let me tell you, I asked my... I asked my at the wall. Like, I asked my students that question <laughs> to break the ice at the beginning of the course. And I said... You threw, and I asked it just as I asked you, and they struggled to answer. No, I think nobody got the answer, but it was every time I and I usually use this sometimes when I'm teaching a critical thinking course. Yeah. Yes, you throw an egg against a wall; it doesn't break, it doesn't fall. This is is that metaphorically like, mm-hmm. like speaking like or. Are you actually throwing the egg at the wall? Because how... I actually threw the egg, yes. Okay, and it didn't break and it didn't fall. Yeah, so I, threw, they... I threw. So the egg would have. I threw. Stuck to the I wall. threw an egg against a wall. It doesn't break. It doesn't fall. How comes? Because <laughs> it never hit the wall. The egg did it hit the wall. Okay, well, explain. It's a simple answer, and I'm going to give you another hint. And um, I'm going to say it one more time. And when I say it another time, you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Okay? I bet you. You throw an egg against a wall. It doesn't break. It doesn't fall. 
I'm gonna say it again. Against. I am gonna say it again. You throw an egg against uh, the wall. I'm gonna give you a hint. It it's what okay. And I the reason why I do this um this exercise when I'm teaching a particular <laughs> facilitating a particular discussion is because it's I I want to make a particular point. How people focus on the wrong things. Right, well, come on, and I said guns wanna, don't g- kill people, people kills people. Listen to what I'm saying. No, you get it. I just gave you the answer. Because I said people focus on the wrong things. <laughs> you With throw your... an egg against a wall, it doesn't break, it doesn't fall. Right. So what are you focusing on? Well, I just gave you so many answers. No, but what are you focusing on? What's the subject? The egg thrown at the wall. Ah, what are you focused on? You throwing the egg at the wall. You but what you if you focus egg. on something else? Well, I was focusing so on on everything. How how the egg did not break. Ah, and so so fall. what are you focused on then? Yeah, they are focused on what's this? What subject are you focusing on? You just said it. You fo- you throw an egg against a wall. It doesn't break. It doesn't fall. It doesn't break. It doesn't fall. What's the antecedent of it? Is it the wall or the egg? Of course, the egg falls. Okay. What is it that doesn't it's, fall? It's, it's still not specified. It's the wall. About <laughs> the egg. It's saying it. So you threw the egg at the wall. It doesn't. it doesn't break. It doesn't fall. How come? Because, of course, because the wall the doesn't egg break. Not... No, the wall Wait. doesn't break. The wall doesn't fall. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> the and. That's what I'm saying. What are you focused on? The egg or the wall? There's two subjects. You know, the, what are you focused on? The right, egg or the wall? I was trying to figure wall? out what was you breaking threw, and what was falling. You threw an egg against a wall. Because they would still be applying to you throwing the egg, but it didn't break and it didn't fall. Yeah, but what is it referring to? Remember, it is a pronoun for what? Right, but when you said, I threw... I threw the egg at the I wall. I threw an egg. I threw an egg. That's important. At the wall. At a wall. So you have an egg and a wall, and then I say it. What is the antecedent of oh, it? Oh, well, you said it differently. No, you time. throw an egg against the wall, it doesn't break, it doesn't fall. How comes? Because right. it is referring to the wall, and so the wall that's... doesn't break, and the wall doesn't fall. <laughs> As I'm saying, it was simple, but it, because you were focusing on the egg... I'm like, well, this that makes no sense. No, I was focused on everything. I, <laughs> I, I, I just wasn't yes, focusing yes. on the wall not breaking and not falling because you're speaking about you throwing an egg at ah. the wall and mm-hmm. it does not break and it does not no, fall. No, I said right? it and I even said it, it several times because what is it referring to? Right. Well, a person will think that it was the egg because that's what. And that was your approach. With, and that, that you, that's why I that teach critical it. thinking. How I teach, I said about in terms. That's how I teach critical thinking. When I I always mm-hmm. start with this course, thinking about what are we focus? Are people focus on the right thing? If you focus on the right thing, you get the right result. If you do the wrong thing, you get the wrong result, the wrong answer. You right. understand? And so, I, and that this is very important. And I said to people, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Once you start from that premise, then mm-hmm. you'll be able to probably deal with the issue of um, rising gun violence and several other issues that we have in our society you know well I think with that like what you just did it mm-hmm. has to be uh, really explained you know what what error is speaking about 
Well, 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 the proverb is because this, this, you can have so many answers. No, but this means a warm up. This is a this is a warm up. A warm up for. Uh, a warm up exercise. It doesn't break. Warm I was te- I was teaching a class at the Jamaica Theological Seminary, and I asked the students, "You throw an egg against the wall, it doesn't break." But, but what was the um, uh, uh, your assessment? Like, what was the major? Um, I was teaching um, uh, Caribbean thought, but the particular the course, the particular topic that for that day was, I believe, critical thinking. Okay. Yeah, because since we're talking about and Caribbean thought does not just look at Caribbean issues, but it looks at the Caribbean and its diaspora. And when we talk about diaspora, we're talking about people who are outside of the Caribbean but who are still connected in some way to the Caribbean. Or but but, we, but even beyond that, Caribbean thinking is a way of thinking. Okay. Yes. All right. A uh, 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 thinking because we said that if the twenty if the Caribbean is an invention then it's bound to be reinterpreted in the 21st century and even transcend that. So, so when I start, so when I, I always, and we're also looking at Pan-African thought, think Pan-Africa in terms of the, you know, and developing thinking and, and how we think and where does that thinking come from and so on and so forth. And um, so, we, I, so I, I start the quote and I say to the student, and even and part of Caribbean thought looks at religious thinking as well religion and um, religion in, in general and why we believe what we believe, how we come to believe it from through interpretation and whether or not those who have um, those who have a revelation or have an exper- experience, a revelation, whether or <laughs> whether or not they are they can also be met with looking at the wrong thing. Because as I said that you know what I mean? So I so and right. so that was that's part of it, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's why I gave you so many answers. It wasn't just focused. But it's a on trick. Age, it's a trick statement. It's a it trick, trick statement. I just yeah. didn't catch it. Right. I didn't catch that. And, and that's what. Uh, and I used the word the "what." It is a pronoun that usually is, a, which is referring to something else. So the thing is, what is the antecedent? The antecedent. What is the antecedent of it? What is it pointing to? What is it referring to? And so most people, when they hear the question, hear the statement, they think that it is referring to the word it is in the statement is referring to the egg. But actually, they never think about the wall. And they say, well, yeah, of course, that's yeah, that's fine. What's wrong with that? The wall doesn't break. The wall will fall. Of course, but the mm-hmm. egg falls. The egg breaks. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but it's, that makes no sense. People, people usually say, that makes no sense. The egg of course, the egg falls <laughs> and break. I mean, why would food? No, but it does though, because yeah. you mm-hmm. already describe every yes. every single um object and mm-hmm. um in the census. Yes. And you have to go in every single era yeah. to, to try to understand it because that was tricky. <laughs> that was really tricky. Yeah. Like my yes, thought process yes, have yes. not yes. got. It haven't gotten that far. Yes, <laughs> I yes, wasn't yes. thinking hard on that. Like I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't really thinking. I was just like, okay, well, this is that. This is that. <laughs> You're listening to the to the neoliberal round podcast, and we just broke the ice. We'll be right back after these messages.
welcome back to the episode. Before we get into the final part of the series looking at Caribbean diaspora and Pan-African perspective where I share with you a lecture I had with some students, with some of my students, I, um, I have some thoughts that, that I'd like to share with you as it relates to the news happening. Um, news alert, some very important news as it relates to the Supreme Court ending um, or overturning Roe as it relates to, to these, some of these issues and gun violence. So, so we, I want to touch on this. And, and the first thing is... The Supreme Court has been quite busy, quite vigilant, um, overturning some, some laws. And, and um, some of the arguments are, are, are quite powerful arguments. But yet still, we know that a lot of, pers- a lot of people are, are going to be affected by the law. And we commented on that. And we have a rights act, women's rights activist, Miss Nakia, or Professor Nakia Outland, will be joining us to talk about this, what that means, the, this, the, the ending of Roe. And, um, and foundations and organizations like hers and many other organizations who depend heavily on federal funding, that, that comes under this law the law this particular law was helping to provide federal funding to some of the programs that many of you benefit from many of us in in communities benefit from and i actually was having a conversation this morning um on instagram with uh, my fraternity brother nolan fontaine and um i think um one of the things that he had said he said that probably this is a, it's a, probably it's a state, it, it is a state issue. It's a state's issue. Um, and, um, and many states are very liberal and they, they are opposed to the Supreme Court's decision because many pro-abortion, uh, many people who are pro um pro-abortion or who promote or advocate for this right to abort, the right to abort, for women to abort. Um, they are, I mean, many of them come from liberal states and of course there are people in conser- and the con- uh, many conservative states like, states like Texas, they are opposed to, um, to, uh, to the abortion um, and they are happy for this ending of Roe and for the Supreme Court decision. So one of the things that we were exploring whether or not um, then this, we should let the state decide. But of course, it's because they are so, so that um, places like California and New York could, um, could keep that law. Or so it becomes a, a, a state issue and Texas, states like St- Texas or Virginia could keep um could uh could advocate for not subscribing to such laws or practices and so the states so the states should decide on whether to make it a right for women but i don't know if the constitution allows states to make determinations on certain issues like rights because they made that a federal issue, because that is that's a federal issue in in the constitution. The constitution accords the states with certain rights. I mean, with certain with certain with certain powers. 
And that's not one of the power of the state of, of states. And the thing is, if and if and if we decide to make it one of the powers of or the purview of the state, then that creates a problem because now we are setting a precedence in a sense. Because if they can if if states now can determine make determinations about an individual right within the state as it relates to abortion, then the question is what other rights can 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 the states now um, extend to their residents? In a sense, it creates an issue of of as it really, because it is the it is the constant the constitution allows the federal government to make determinations about certain things, while the states have certain powers and if the now if the states are now going to make determinations about a particular right then it sets a precedence about it sets a precedence for them now to utilize that power to extend them to certain other rights or to take away certain other rights and then there is the other issue what is the other issue I'm here talking about? The issue is, if Texas, individual, let us say Texas, it is illegal, Texas has a law that makes it illegal for, for individuals to abort a baby or a fetus and, New, and, and, and a state like New York has a, a law that allows for that, then what will happen is that individuals who want to abort and and if they are, say more, they're liberal, they will drive, probably leave their state and go to another state to abort their child, to abort that child. And that creates another problem because the state that that individual goes to to do the abortion will have to fund may have may fund the individual who is undergoing that medical procedure because that abortion in some many of these states are are subsidized so now the states the state is now using their their funding to help a, a patient from another state and of course that individual does not pay into the taxes of that particular state where they are doing the abortion so then state that becomes a state issue where now states uh, with that that liberal states are now going to have to shelter or cover the cost of individuals who come from conservative states where abortion is illegal.
So then, so it creates this problem in society. And these are some of the things that we have to contend with. Um, we will continue to have these discussions. Um, today we are actually doing a we are doing a presentation. We are today is the final episode, the final episode of um, the final. Sorry, the final. Sorry, not the final episode. The final. The final episode in the series that we're that we are carrying. Uh, the um, part four, which is the end of the series, and look on Caribbean thought, or towards developing a Caribbean diaspora Pan African perspective. Which, and I was giving a lecture at the Caribbean thought class at the Jamaica Theological Seminary, and I am going to give, and I will share with you the final part of that lecture. Um, of course, the lecture continued, but the final part of that two-hour or two and a half-hour lecture. And um, I will, we will have that for you. And then, um, sometime later on, if not today, probably tomorrow, we'll have, we will be interviewing or we will have on the show uh, Professor Nakia Outland, who is a woman, woman's or women's rights activist, uh, and most of her work is in Pennsylvania, and she has been doing a lot of work. Actually, yesterday I spoke with her and via telephone and she indicated to me that um you know the issue of abortion um, this new ending role speaks to the issue of women's rights speaks to the issue of of uh, reproductive health and it's and according to her it's not just a man's issue a woman's issue it's a man's issue and she uh, she indicated that she's been on the phone and getting a lot of emails talking to other persons, other rights activists and so on about this new law because it's going to affect funding and many foundations and and organizations depend heavily on funding that stems from this law. So, and, and the federal government um, invests heavily in, in these, but uh, it means then that the federal government, does it mean then that the federal government will have to now upend that? And of course, we talked about that a little bit and um, she was very concerned about what this means, and it is quite interesting. There's um, so we will have her on the show to talk some more about what this means for rights activists and for the country in general. Uh, we also have to make a final comment because we talk about the Safer Communities Act, and we continue to drive on the fact that guns don't kill people; people kill people. Guns are tools, and um, that people use to exact their heinous thoughts. Uh, we we have a follow up to us to a story that we are learning more and more about every day as it relates to um, two young men who were killed in um, in pencil in Pennsylvania in Germantown Pennsylvania right at the corner of True and Shelton and um, and uh, I under, and I spoken with several persons in the community of Germantown I reside in Germantown and many persons that I am familiar with know some of these, um, the two young men that were gunned down. Um, and so my condolences to the family. Um, there's so much of this happening. Um, it's, it's with crime and violence. And I believe that, uh, but I'm hearing today that um, the individuals were, were shot in the head, you know, and when someone is shot in the head, you could, they were, di- they were shot in the head. There were two young, young men who are brothers and I understand that um, the lady that has these 
sons um lot um she has about 10 kids and um i think one of their one other child was gone down previously and i understand that um that these individuals were shot in the head were shot in the head by um a, a, a gunman and um and i'm understanding and the way how it was done it was execution style as if it was it was paid killing and um uh, they haven't found um the perpetrator and i understand that um i'm we are learning we are learning i'm learning my sources are telling me here at the new liberal round podcast we are learning every day because we are on the ground um about what some of the, what is happening and um we are learning that these um the perpetrator was paid um this was an execution style killing the perpetrator was paid to kill it was an assignment to kill um um out of retribution or retaliation it was retaliatory and these persons and they were paid to um the perpetrator was paid now i don't know if um they, we have unconfirmed reports about whether or not um, we understand that some of these persons might come from um uh th- there is this north philadelphia um some woman in north philadelphia might have orchestrated some kind of payment to have these boys executed and one young woman one young woman who was previously shot just a few months ago she was just shot she was in the shop at the corner of germantown sorry not germantown but true and shelton the 24-hour shop right there and she was also impacted by by the gun by by uh, she she got one of the one she was shot actually in her i believe they said she was shot in her leg and previously she was shot in her arm um but uh but she's she's alive and um, i understand that she's she is in stable condition she's recuperating and i spoke with some of her as with some one of her friends and um one of her best friends who's closely related to her so she is doing okay um but but it's it what it's quite interesting what's happening you know um so there is so we the, the authorities continue to investigate to investigate this but this particular we understand that there are police officers who who live right i mean sorry there are police officers who are who are usually stationed on on shelton avenue close which is down the street that's usually right in these areas but yet it does not prevent crime and violence it does not prevent gun crime and murder these people are not afraid of the police the police in fact the police are afraid of these people i understand that the 18 year old who killed the the, the 19 children there's 19 children and two teachers i i believe in uvalda texas i believe that the police waited outside of the classroom classroom 111 for 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 17 minutes or several minutes before they entered the classroom because they were afraid of the in the young man who had an automatic rifle and um and so uh, this is quite interesting but here it is that the and we know that um, in philadelphia for those persons who are familiar with philadelphia there is a place on um police are stationed in some of these areas but yet still as i say to you they there is gun violence is still rampant and the incident that happened just last week where these two young men were gunned down in a shop in in a 24-hour shop in philadelphia the police is literally across the street 
stay sitting every day observing but yet still the these indiv- these individuals were sh- were gunned down and the assailant hasn't been caught this is quite interesting but um the investigation should go beyond the assailant because if you see the way in which it was the crime was committed and what people are saying on the ground about contract killing and paid contract killing and retaliation and the what's happening between people in north philadelphia and germantown or some individuals who have some kind of angst but the thing is more often than not when these i believe some time ago in north philadelphia somebody who i know very very well was um was killed and she was standing in front of poundside the rapper and the per- some persons i understand from south philadelphia was trying to kill um poundside the rapper but instead he got shot in the in the arm but the young woman who was standing in front of him having an exchange was shot and killed but poundside is alive but um but but you see the whatever these people were going through was between them but yet still they are innocent people and bystanders bystanders who are usually affected or impacted become victims i remember some time ago in north philadelphia on 25th street um there's a young lady who i'm very familiar with who was sitting on her steps and there were some kind of shootout just four blocks up the street and she was the next thing you know she was shot in her neck and she just rushed to the hospital she is alive today and we got that and we give god thanks for that and where did these people get the guns from of course many of these, some of these guns are illegal weapons in these some of these communities and of course yesterday i was actually speaking with an elderly gentleman who and i actually had some time to hit with him um he was playing tennis in albury and um i had some some opportunities to hit some hit i was hitting with him a tennis i was playing tennis and i walked over and we had a conversation an older gentleman i think he's 78 was playing tennis and i played with him a little bit and we talked about the rising crime and violence um in these cities atlanta new york chicago all of these the big cities new york you know and i say to you poverty you look at what's going on with the issue of poverty rising poverty and not just poverty but is i'm talking about also abject poverty and if and you have to if you look at the correlation effect look at what's going on rising crime and violence rising poverty drop in median income rising inflation economic outlook i mean you know gas prices are almost at $6 but what is happening in society today in terms of dealing with issues of of course we said to you yesterday in the yesterday's podcast um about this this bipartisan safer communities act that is lopsided and only speaks to the the issue of the gun the inanimate object it does not speaks to 
the real issues that's also causing people to commit gun crimes. Like the people who were paid, I understand, and if it is true, we don't it's unconfirmed reports, but based on what people are saying and so on and so forth, contracting or paid killing, people are more than happy to be paid. When they stole my car in January, I and I, we did our inv- investigations. We le- in Philadelphia, we learned that the young men who were committing the crimes, young men were getting paid four thousand and five thousand dollars, depending on the kind of car. If it's a luxury car or a high-end car, you're paid five thousand dollars, or you're paid four thousand five hundred. Or something of the you know so people were more than happy and can i tell you just day before yesterday i was speaking to a young lady in germantown a young older woman who said to me i mean i was passing her car on duval and her car was trackling it was on trackling and it sounded weird as if she had a big muffler she said oh you're looking at my car they just stole my catalytic catalytic converter that still happened because they are also selling those and so the issue of poverty is making people very creative and they are willing to do anything and people are being paid and i understand that there is some uh the um the Afri- there is some you they ship the cars and many of these cars are shipped overseas you know and there's one other issue that i must also share with you i must also comment on you know there is all there is this uh, phase four program that um that that uh that was part of the whole covid stimulus package and program where the federal government um provided for low-income individuals to access funding who are affected by covid especially with um persons who are on the verge of being evicted or can't pay their rent because of what's happening in, in the economy due to covid and so they created the phase the phase four phase one two three four program there's a phase four program where you can apply and you can get your rent paid for probably up to six months or depending up uh, depending but um right now there are people who who have applied who have applied since last year and cannot get the funding because they have this the cities and states have run out of money and they're waiting for 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 funds to come in in order to continue to help struggling individuals who are on the verge of eviction but of course i learned last week from someone who i know very well who is a landlord who indicated to me that do you know that i i learned that one of my tenants got some was awarded up to close to six thousand dollars in rental assistance and he did not owe one cent and the only re- the only way i f- i found out because i got i saw an email from uh from the program saying that one of my tenants was awarded a certain amount of money up to six thousand dollars close to six thousand dollars in rent and can i tell you he said this is his exact words can i tell you he did not owe any money so i'm saying i mean how are they doing this phase four program I, you know, if you want to minimize the issue of fraud, then I believe that the funds should be given directly to the landlords. Why are they given to the tenants? That is absolutely ridiculous. 
they create situations for this to happen to happen they create situations and now people who actually need the money they have run out of funding and people who actually need the funding can't get access to the funding because there are people who have taken advantage of the program so that is and that is that is you know but of course i tell you with what's happening in these communities with poverty and falling median incomes people are creative people are doing anything in order to get fund in order to to get in order to survive and of course with the with the so coupled with socialization coupled with how people are socialized this disrespect for self for others the music and 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 and, and the media and so on and the things that people watch that entices that entice them it you know where people are there is a disrespect and devaluing the other and promoting and and the grand theft auto and and the and and who is parenting the kids today the grand theft auto the video games and okay and kids are learning more each day what a five-year seven-year-old know today is what a 20-year-old or 15-year-old knew a couple of years ago so that by the time these kids are born they know what you know and more and now they are building they're ready for the next wave now but one of the things is the critical thinking people's critical mind the ability to distill and make determinations also need to be developed and that's where parenting comes in where you help the children to decipher information of course we don't control their minds but we allow them to understand the information but what but they are left up to themselves and with easy access to social media and to digital technology and this constant staple of violence and disrespect for other for the other coupled with poverty and all and all that that I've that I've said to you people are creative and people are desperate and they are willing to take advantage of a system that allows them to make extra income in order to make ends meet because people in these communities are desperate so they are willing to be paid to to carry out contract killings and so on and so forth and that and that is why i say to you we have to deal with those issues the issue of dealing with with these things have to be comprehensive they have to be interdisciplinary they have to be multifaceted So I, I hope we continue to to think about these things in a in a very comprehensive way. And um, as I say to you, we will we will have on our show, I believe, later. I, I hope hopefully by tomorrow or sometime on Monday, we will have an interview with Professor Nakia Outland, woman's rights rights activist, uh, and um, and she will talk and and we will get her opinion and her comments about what is happening regarding the ending of Roe. And of course, I actually reached out to Senator Bob Casey because I also wanted to pick his brain about this new Safer Communities Act.
and I also reached, reached out to Mr. John Anthony Castro because I would like to have a discussion, discussion with them about this Safer Communities Act and what's happening in generally regarding the ending of Roe and so on and so forth. And of course, you want to hear from your representatives and you also want to hear from those who aspire to represent. What are, what are your opinions and, and as it relates to what's going on in, in, in our society and what solutions do you think will work and so on and so forth. We'll be right back after these messages. Uh, welcome back to the episode. So now we're about to get into what we are about for this episode, Dante, which we are continuing on where we left off from on part three of this series. This is the final in a four part, in a four part series looking at towards developing a Caribbean diaspora pan Africa perspectives, where I am sharing um, a, a lecture that I had with some students at the at the class at the Caribbean at the Jamaica Theological Seminary. And as I said to you, this class is not a Caribbean class. It's not just a Jamaican class. It's, it's a, it's a, the subject matter deals with issues that affects everyone in communities in, and so on and so forth. Um, black and brown issues and so on and so forth and issues of humanity. So we're about to get into that. And this is the final part of the four part. And where we, we're going to continue where we left off the last time. We are talking about um, the ish, ghetto and... Um, and and I made an, and I let me just correct myself. The get the ghetto was not created by the Soviets, but we know that in 1516, the ghetto was created as a place of restriction in Italy. Okay, and that's where Jews lived, in the ghetto, which was okay. And um and then, of course, we know during the Holocaust or during the World War, we know that um the Nazis recreated that place of restriction, and and forced all of the a concentration camp in a sense in effect actually they created a concentration camp um but we know that the jews had to live in the ghetto and then there was a concentration camp but we we i touched on the issue of ghetto but um but talked about that because the issue of ghetto is something that is familiar that people can relate to if you live in the caribbean if you live in the global south if you live in certain communities urban communities in the united states in, in, in the UK in, um, or wherever you are, the issue of ghetto is very important. And I talk about that and I build from on that argument as I, as, I, as I explore some very important issues as it relates to developing Caribbean diaspora and, and African perspective, Pan-African perspective. So um, at the end of this, you will hear the, the continuation and the final part of the series. We'll be right back after this. World War One, they created that, and all the Jews had to go live there. Okay, and they create, and it was a place of restriction. You couldn't leave that area. You couldn't leave that 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 place of restriction. So I say, okay, write a journal about the ghetto without even saying, and just write about the ghetto. If I say, if I were to say that. If I were to say that, then of course you could think about the ghetto. The ghetto is a place of restriction. 
people oh, you always want to you know people you don't want to leave the ghetto they have all these the the, 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 the soviets created the ghetto and 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 they didn't want them to leave the ghetto during the uh the holocaust and holocaust and so on it was a place of restriction and if you talk in jamaica people always talk about the ghetto you know what is it the ghetto is a place of restriction a place of lack a place of poverty Okay, America contributed to the concept of the ghetto though. The restriction of persons to a special area now. So ghetto was just an area in Italy, but it was a very difficult. And then as we get, as we in the 21st century, and we start thinking about the ghetto now, the, the ghetto now becomes a concept. It, it, it becomes a word that is used to describe a particular situation. America has contributed to the concept of ghetto. The restriction of persons at that, according to uh, Kenneth Clark, the restriction of persons to a special area and the limiting of their freedom of choice on the basis of skin color. One of the things we're going to talk about in this class is colorism. And you find that, you know, the bleaching is a big issue, not just in English-speaking Caribbean, but you find it in Dominican Republic or in Venezuela, in the Spanish, in the Spanish Caribbean. You find it in Martinique. You find it in Haiti. In, yes. But it, of course, in Martinique, there's more white people in Martinique. But of course, you find that in, in Haiti as well, especially within very black or, uh, or struggling Caribbean countries. There's more of this color issue where people are trying to change the color. But please remember, especially within the ghetto, especially within the ghetto or people of certain or people who speak people of certain educational level in society and certain exposure they, they you know they practice bleaching and, and 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 so on and so forth because they're trying to change their position they're trying to change their their plight in society and so they believe so so let me so 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 the ghetto was a is a is the restriction of persons. So the concept of ghetto now became different. The, so ghetto was actually a place in the 16th century, which was actually a restrictive place. If we thought about the Holocaust and what the Jews have to go through, and then in the 21st century and the 20th century, it became a a concept that people actually live in the ghetto. Who live in the ghetto? Ghetto was always a place for a group of people. The ghetto was first for Jews. And now in the 21st century, it became a place for black and brown people. And then sometimes it's used to refer to the global south or to third world countries or to, or to developing countries like the Jamaica or the Caribbean, the ghetto. But it's always a con it means it's a concept of uh, the, the, the ghetto, the, it's the restriction of person to a special area and the limiting of their freedom of choice on the basis of skin color. This is deep what I just told you. And here we find immigration, this, the, the, the Jamaica, and you find that certain, if you're white, you can leave. You can, the immigration policies favor white Anglo-Saxon people. But if you're not white, if you're black, yes, then it's hard to leave. Say, for example, in the film, you're going to see who shot the sheriff. Um, Bob Marley was able to leave Jamaica because of what was going on in Jamaica. But what about... But it, it asks another question. What about people who can't leave Jamaica? What about, okay, you have to have ties to travel, but some people don't have ties. So, you know, they, they make it a, they create a situation where 
only some people can leave the ghetto now. Okay, if you have certain access or if you know certain things or if you are closer to the, if you're a bit lighter, you know? You know, Bob Marley himself was born to a to a, 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 a white woman and, and was easy, so he can escape. So even within within the Caribbean, even within black people, you find there are some people who can escape and some who can't. Even within the ghetto, there are even some people who are more restricted than the others. The dark ghetto's invisible walls have been erected by the white society or by imperialists. By those who have power, both to confine those who have no power. Confine, you know, talk about Jamaica, confine Jamaica, they don't want, you know, they stay in your country and they have all these policies within Jamaica. Because, you know, they don't want to leave and all. The dark ghetto are the dark ghettos are social, political, educational, and above all economic colonies. Colonies. The dark ghetto, what are they? They are social, they are political, they are educational, and above all, economic colonies. Their inhabitants are subject peoples, victims of greed, cruelty, insensitivity, guilt, and fears of their masters. The objective dimension of the American or Caribbean urban ghetto like Tivoli and Denham Town and or Philadelphia are overcrowded and deteriorated housing, high infant mortality, crime and disease. The subjective dimensions are resentment, hostility, despair, apathy, self-deprecation and its ironic companion, compensatory, grandiose behavior. The ghetto is ferment, paradox, conflict and dilemma. Yet within its but within its pervasive pathology exists a surprising human resiliency. I feel like I'm describing Jamaica. Let me read let me read this again. I'm reading here from um I'm actually I'm interacting. Some of the thoughts are from my from a research I'm doing but that and that I've we represented the thought here. But I'm interacting with Kenneth Clark and he talks about the invisible wall. As you think about the concept of the dark ghetto, think about your own communities and your own country and your own lives. He said that the dark ghetto are social, political, educational, and above all, economic colonies. The inhabitants are subject peoples, victims of greed, cruelty, insensitivity, guilt, and fear of their masters. Insensitivity. They said the slaves were nothing, okay? And of, but no, what is it that drove slavery? What is it that drives conquest and, and colonialism and all of that? It was greed, cruelty, insensitivity, guilt. But that is what drives ghetto. And we still have the ghetto today. And now the Caribbean is seen as one big ghetto. When, I, when you watch the film Life and Death, then you'll see what I talk about. The objective dimension of the American urban ghettos are overcrowded and deteriorated housing. High infant mortality, crime and disease. What's ha- happening in Jamaica? Crime and disease. The subjective dimensions are resentment, hostility, despair, apathy. We're talking about resistance, self-depreciation or deprecation, and its ironic companion, grandiose behavior. Some so some people in the ghetto they have these feelings of grandioseness. You know, 
I used to do some research in uh, Harlem, in the hood in Harlem, and in some of the inner cities. And I would meet some young men and young women who, and can I tell you? Yes, it is true. There are people who tend to believe that they are better than, who say, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I, I, I'm a professor. I own this and I do that. And they don't know anything. There are people who say, you know, and, you know, and people say, okay, it's a small man complex, small island complex, or something of the sort. We believe that we are better than we are. But of course, it's important to believe that. Or maybe it's not. Maybe to our own detriment. But the objective dimension of the American urban ghettos are overcrowded. The ghetto is ferment, it's paradox, it's conflict, it's, dile- it's dilemma. Yet within its pervasive pathology exists a surprising human resilience. And that's what defined Jamaica. That's what defined the Caribbean. That re- the resiliency. But why? But I question that. Why do we have to live a life of resilience? The ghetto is hope. It is despair. It is churches and bars. We said that Jamaica has more churches and bars than anywhere in the world. It is churches and bars in the in the inner city and in the hood and among black and brown people. Where you see a lot of churches and a lot of bars. You. You know, you don't know these things then when you start looking at it and start studying it and analyzing it. But they don't want you to study it. They don't want you to analyze anything. That has evaded us for years. Within its pervasive pathology exists a surprising human resilience. The ghetto is hope, it is despair, it is churches, it is bars, it is aspiration for change. And it is apathy, it is vibrancy, it is stagnation, it is courage, it is defeatism, it is cooperation and concern, and it is suspicion, competitiveness and rejection. We talk about crab in a barrel, competitiveness and rejection. Assimilation, it is alienation. When I was doing the anthrop- and ethnography in Philadelphia, I had to become one. I had to be what the guys were. They, you know, you thought I was, I'm going to use the word, I'm sorry. I'm going to use the word in quotes, a hood nigger. I became that in order to understand what was going on in the inner city in Philadelphia and in Detroit and in New York. You, and then, of course, in order for you to share things, with, they, have to, they have to feel like though you have become one with them. You know? You know then, then a piece of yourself starts to disintegrate as you start to study people and understand concepts because now you have to become one with the ghetto. But, the, but this is important here. The ghetto or the Caribbean man tend to regard their predicament as a consequence of personal disability or as an inherent and imposed powerlessness which all Negroes share. Young people in the ghetto are aware that other young people have been taught to read that they have been prepared for college and can compete successfully for white-collar managerial executive jobs. The pathologies of the ghetto perpetuate themselves to cumulative ugliness, deterioration and isolation, and strengthens the, the Negro's sense of worthlessness, giving testimony to his impotence. Yet the ghetto is not totally isolated. The, the mass media, the radio, the television, the move, moving pictures, magazines, and the press penetrate, indeed, invade the ghetto in continuous and inevitable communication, largely one way, showing their brand of culture and 
dehumanizing the black man. Those who are required to live in congested, rat-infested homes are aware that others are not dehumanized. Young people in the ghetto are aware that other young people have been taught to read. Whatever accommodations they themselves must make to the negative realities which dominate their own lives. We are exposed, even within this, to live that diluted, dumbed-down life. Again, the people in the ghetto tend to regard their predicament as a consequence of personal disability or as an inherent and imposed powerlessness which all Negroes share. The privileged white community is at great pain to blind itself to conditions of the ghetto. But the residents of the ghetto are not themselves blind to the life as it is, as it is outside of the ghetto. And that is why I talk about globalism. Film. The importance of film to bring about change in, in okay and the importance of social media and to engage social media because that's one of the tools we now have to to adjudicate and to get back our preeminence so therefore one of the things that we talk about is violence is done to the black man in order to continue oppression. Violence is done in order to continue the oppression. And the way how we see things. So we are here talking about the ghetto and I talk about the presumption of the ghetto. We're back here. Presumption drive research and thought and practice and one must be aware of it always. Komi Baba writes in her book, The Location of Culture, of V.S. Nepal. She said, the cosmopolitan man is driven by circumstances in his view and literary work in London. You might know V.S. Nepal. He wrote a book on mimic men. And it's a very important book. Mimic, uh, mimic man, because if you look at all of V.S. Nepal's stories, V.S. Nepal talks a lot about mimic men, about, about uh, stories, about, about the importance of, of black people. You know, a lot of these if literature talk about the importance of black people because he's trying to and, uh, mimic a kind of colonial sophistication that we now have. But listen to what uh, um, Homi Baba says on page, chapter 4 and page 122 of her book, The Location of Culture. She said, that of colonial dependence, to give, to give to a colony the forms of independence is a mockery. She would not be a colony for a single hour if she could maintain an independent station very important and I listen to what it, and as I continue listen to what she said uh, she says here according to Homi Baba within that conflictual economy of colonial discourse which Edward Said described as the tension between the synchronic panoptical vision of dominance the demand for identity stasis and the counter pressure of the diachrony of history change difference Mimicry represents an ironic compromise. If I may adapt Samuel Weber's formulation of the marginalizing vision of 
castration, then colonial mimicry is the desire for a reformed, recognizable other as a subject of a difference that is almost the same, but not quite, which is to say that the discourse of mimicry is structured around an ambivalence. Mimicry is thus the sign of double process of disavowal. I don't think I have much time for the class. I just looked up and I saw that it's nine. Are we? It's class? We don't have much time. But let me wrap, wrap this point up. Because I'm reading from, um, I'm also going to be reading from Homi Baba's culture. I, I'm going to share this thought with you later on in the, uh, in the class. So later, later, we're going to be reading from this book, Mimicry, and where they talk about identity and how it alienates from the one's essence. Talk about what is your essence? Again, I'm going to talk, again, you know, as an observer, one becomes observed and partial. But I want to talk about identity and how one is alienated from essence. And this drive to finding your essence. And if we will ever be able to have an essence that is uniquely us as the Caribbean people. But, Homi Baba writes in the book, The Location of Culture, that our circumstances drive how we see things and the stories we write and then she talks about the book dirty pretty things where Frantz Fanon tries to seek for a kind of independent thought a kind of thought that captures us our essence because well what is our essence is it African what is it that constitutes the Caribbean? Is it is it African? The, Af the Caribbean is a very big a very big place. Um, uh, we said that what constitutes the Caribbean is a matter of context, and um, it's a matter of perspective, and that's a question for you to look at. What is it that constitutes the Caribbean? And we're going to stop the class here. What is it that constitutes the Caribbean? That's for class next week. Write a, a one to two page journal. What is it that constitutes the Caribbean? Or what is it, or if not, you can write what is it that constitutes the Caribbean? Or two? What is a Caribbean? Is there truly a Caribbean identity? If so, what is it? Okay. So let me go back. Oh, I was. I'm gonna send it. Oh, well, I'm out. I can't access anything here.
I am Dante Nelson. And I am Ronaldo McKenzie. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Neoliberal Round Podcast brought to you by the Neoliberal Corporation that is serving the world today to solve tomorrow's challenges. Join us tomorrow for another exciting episode. What good?